Welcome to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach, with your host, Vanessa. On this podcast, we talk about who your coach is when the name tag comes off. What makes this coach tick? How did they get started? And what kept them going? What coach inspired them? Do they have any passions outside of coaching? And most importantly, what do they want their legacy to be? Tune in to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach. Hi, and welcome back to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach, why coaches are humans too. On this podcast, we interview coaches across the nation to find out who they truly are and what makes them tick. Today, we have on Chanel from my home club, San Antonio, the rim location, the better location. I'm just kidding, 281. I love you guys. Chanel, tell us where you were born and raised, girl. I am boring. I was born and raised here in San Antonio, Texas. (laughs) Very boring. So, nothing exciting there. (laughs) Okay. Sorry. Well... Tell us something unique about yourself then. Well, I have a pretty unique background. I always say I am a counseling intern that became a trainer, that became an online social media personality. Yeah, we'll get into that a little bit more later. It's definitely an interesting story. I think that the first time that I met Chanel after seeing her, um, and just to kind of paint a little bit of a picture in case you haven't seen her picture yet, Purple hair, witchy nails. She was quite the character, but she is a ball of love. But we'll get into that later. Chanel, do you like to listen to podcasts? Yes. I actually listen to a lot of them when I get ready in the mornings. I love documentary-style murder mysteries. Um, Even this morning, I listened to one that was called uh, Women Who Made the West. And some of the interesting facts, I learned about the very first female post courier in California and the madams who made the West and Texas and developed society as we know it. So it was kind of cool this morning. Yeah, I love documentaries, especially any type of like historic. I'm obsessed with history, which is funny because it used to be my least favorite um, topic (laughs) because all we learned about was Texas history. And if you know anything about the education system, you know, they were very select about how we (laughs) learned. I do think it's funny that Texas history is like the only, I think it's the only state that actually does Texas history and not just U.S. history. Yeah, we are. Um, But I do think it's kind of broken the the first time I saw like a world map and started to really learn where countries are (laughs) was in college. (laughs) But let's not talk about that. (laughs) Um, But yeah, speaking about history, I've learned that you've recently gotten some feedback on your culture and your heritage. Tell me about that. Okay, so a while back, this is probably last year, I actually did a DNA ancestry test and it gave me the percentages and there was a couple of weird percentages. Um, Scandinavian, West Asian, so think of um, Iran, Syria, um, and Native American, which is assumed since I am of Hispanic descent, and the Americas. Now, and, well, and the, the Iberian Peninsula. Now, a couple of days ago, I had submitted it to a place called My True Ancestry, which does haplotyping, and you can probably do more into this if you're interested, and sourcing your genetic markers to specific populations. And one of these surprising facts was that I actually have a very large amount of Native American DNA from Ir- the Iroquois. And I knew about the Mayan and Aztec, but the Iroquois was a bit of a surprise because it confirmed something that my family had always assumed based on documents dating back to around 1600. 
And I was kind of like, wow, okay, this is news just in time for Indigenous Peoples Day. Fantastic. So that was a big surprise. And it was kind of shocking because I'd always kind of had an affinity for that. Yeah, I think that's incredibly interesting because I know um, I actually just did my 23andMe, so I'm waiting for the results back, so I'm really excited about that. But my mom has told me that we have some Canadian um, Indian in us, so I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I want to learn more about that and actually see if it's true. Exciting. Um, but yeah, but something that's always intrigued me about the Native American culture, Mayan and Aztec, um, is their spirituality connection, their connection, you know, with um, witch practice. And I don't even know that I want to use that term, but more so the bruja side, yes. right? So. I know that you um, have a connection with that. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So, um, growing up, I was basically sent to private school, and my basically my maternal side kind of denied me a little bit of my heritage. But as I grew up, I started to get very much more in, turn, in tune with like my spirituality and my spiritual side. And I guess you can say like. I'm breaking the stereotype when it comes to people who say, in quotations, witch, Mm -hmm. what does witch really mean? Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest things that I have to emphasize is that there's different kinds of witchcraft. There's shamanism, there's cuanderismo, there's brujeria, like there's different things. And But in the Hispanic culture, if you are very much more mestizo and much more in tune with your Mexican side, you will find that religion, Christianity, Catholicism, and that side of the world that that colonialization and those colonial religions came over and intermixed with the native religions and we have this very unique sense of spirituality that uses both and neither are seen as bad or good Mm -hmm. so I guess you could say I fall into that category yeah so um, can you tell us about a personal experience where you f- maybe first noticed or got a little bit um, scared about your brujeria side? Okay, so a couple of years ago, I had a trip to Key West, which is known as Bone Island. It was known as Cayo Hueso, which is Bone Island by the Spanish settlers, um, because the Calusa Indians in that area basically went to war with each other, and when the, the Spaniard settlers came through, there was nothing but mass graves and basically just bodies everywhere. That's exactly what it is. And now Key West is a party town with more bars per, per square foot than anywhere else in the world. So I went there as a purely just having fun. And I had a really negative experience there, not with anybody, but more my spiritual side, where it really made me question my faith and my belief system and really transformed me into the brujeria uh, practitioner that I am today because I learned that there is more than one facet to spirituality and the approach people have to spirituality. It's not as black and white as people think. Mm -hmm. And my own personal experience really made me see the beautiful spectrum that there is and really made me evaluate my culture on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit of that personal experience? Because I know that story is a little hard for you. Um, do you want to talk about that? I mean, I can to... I can just talk briefly. Yeah. I know you can see me cringing right I now. Know. Like, because ah! it's a hard it's a hard moment oh to relive, gosh. but it is so interesting. So essentially, most people are probably really skeptical, and I'm like, you know what? You have your skeptical beliefs. That's cool. Um, but 
I went to Key West and I was on a ghost tour <laughs> and they gave me some dowsing rods and I and I had the guy who was kind of, he panicked a little bit and he was like, okay, whatever it is, play really nice and whatever it was was not playing nice with me and I literally felt like my arm got electrocuted by something and, all, mm-hmm. and I was overwhelmed with this emotional, this deep sadness and distress and afterwards, after that, the, basically in short, I felt something come over me that I had never felt and it was just this this trauma that wasn't mine and I knew it wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. And what came out of the whole thing was that maybe there are more dif- there are different sides to spirituality and have I really been denying myself this culture for so long because mm-hmm. it was considered acceptable. Mm-hmm. But even though the experience was extremely negative and it was in public so it was very embarrassing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very embarrassing. Right. But I feel like I got something beautiful out of it Mm -hmm. in return. Well, I also think that, you know, maybe a lighter moment that was really interesting that you've you've told me about, too, is your connection with um, flutes. Mm -hmm. So flutes in nature and kind of the moment that you felt like you were almost in flow. Can you kind of speak about that? Yes. So I've made many trips to New Mexico and the Pueblos of New Mexico for vacations with my family, and I've always had an affinity for collecting flutes. And... There was, there's been a couple trips where I've collected flutes, but they were handmade by actual artisans and one of them was commissioned for me that I just was just like, I felt absolutely connected to nature. And I remember I have one, it's a spirit flute and it's wood. And I was sitting in the gorge in New Mexico and I think there's a photo my parents just snapped randomly and I was just sitting there and I was playing and it, it's music in that regard just comes naturally like you're not thinking of a melody it just happens and I think that was one of the few times I felt absolutely connected to something about the world and nature and just being present in that moment Mm -hmm. and I had another time I was in uh, Mexico in the Yucatan and my mom always told me you're gonna love the Yucatan she just always felt at home and that's because of our our heritage on her side Mm -hmm. and I have a clay flute that is from Nahuatl so uh, Mayan descent and it was crafted by somebody there. And I remember I was sitting literally in the rainforest in uh, Chichen Itza on the pathway. And I was just sitting off to the side. And it was in the evening. And I was just playing. And it was just, I felt comfortable and at home. So, yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. I think that's so interesting to me when, like, besides our epigenetics, I think that there's also, you know, this is obviously based off of your personal and spiritual and potentially religious beliefs. But... The connection that you get from certain places or even physical um, tools, so like the flute, it's just really interesting to me the um, impression that it can have on you and the expression that can come through it, the home feeling sensations um, that don't even like, that almost create themselves in the moment with it um, versus something that is necessarily tied with your immediate family, but like genuinely coming from your heritage. I think Mm -hmm. that those are really interesting moments in our lives. So to talk a little bit more about, you know, how you and I know each other through the fitness realm, through Lifetime. Um, I want to hear a little bit more about how you got into this world. So what's your previous experience? Where did you start getting into fitness? Oh, my God. That's a fun story. <laughs> so I started my own personal experience with fitness nine years ago, almost 10 at this point. 
Um, and I was always the fat chick, and I hated the stereotype. And I'm not fat. I was always just overweight slightly. But when your Hispanic parents are calling you gordita, it doesn't sit quite well as we age, especially when I have such a strained relationship with culture in my family. And I started going to Zumba classes, and I lost a ton of weight. And I did that originally to, you know, slim down, and it worked. Now, then I broke my foot, and when you can't jump around anymore, you become distressed and panicked, and you're like, oh my god, I'm going to get fat again. Well, I had a friend who took me into the industry of lifting, and all it took was I dedicated one month, and within that month, I saw the changes I had always wanted to see, and here we are. Now we're seven years later um, of weight training. And then I decided about two years into that, why don't I make this something a career? I love training. I love working out. Why not make it a job? So I went for my very first cert. I've been training for five years now. And I actually trained at Gold's to start. And believe it or not, my original boss actually works with us here at the rim, <laughs> ironically. And after that, I moved here to Lifetime. And I've been here for two years. Mm -hmm. And I've loved it every, every step of the way because the autonomy and just the the higher quality of experience here is just different and I think the one thing I love about this place is that there's so many different people with so many different backgrounds and I've learned something from every single one of them yeah now the thing is people think I'm just a meathead sometimes because I look <laughs> it but I actually do have two undergrad degrees so two bachelors one in bio and one in psychology and an upper level degree in clinical mental health counseling, um, that's a master's of science, and I actually did attain my LPCI license for a time. So before I became an official trainer, like full time, I was a counselor. So with all of that experience um, throughout your, your schooling, what do you feel like those degrees have given you um, that's most useful in our practice? So definitely communication, most of all, and reading the underlying messages. So basically, I've always really helped people find why they do what they do by doing something called reflection of meaning. I love to link what they're telling me, the feeling behind what they're telling me, to a value that we've discussed previous and why it's making them do what they do. And often they have that light bulb aha moment and they're like, oh, now I understand and I think that empowers them as clients to really embrace the journey and the strife and the struggle, but also the good stuff and the rewards that come out of it. So being by able to figure out how they communicate, I think I'm able to empower them as people. Right. I think that's so useful because if we don't do mentality training, if we don't actually help them with their mental connections of okay yes you want to lose that five or 50 pounds but what would that mean for you if you lost it and what would that do for your life what would that open up for you in your life um i think that that's actually even sometimes more helpful to have those types of oh moments um because then it finally also kind of maybe alleviates or helps them refocus why their why their goals mean something to them mm -hmm. um so if you were to look at a philosophy that you, um, a philosophy in life that you believe in, what do you feel like that would be? So uh, whenever people say philosophy, I always think of like abstract concepts and I know that's not what it is, but 
I used to be much more planning oriented and really focusing on what am I going to do t- tomorrow, today, this hour, that hour. But as I've grown older, I've become a little more pneumatic, nomadic, nomadic, nomadic and fluid and taking everything in stride. And by doing so, I've kind of decided, you know what? I'm going to be a jack of all trades, master of maybe one, because I need to know all these different things so I can be successful in all these different areas. And maybe if I decide to change things up as I, as I grow older, I have the skills to take anything on. Yeah, I think that being able to take an interest in psychology um, is, yeah, is considered like that, just being a jack of all trades. Because if you don't understand people, if you don't understand thought processes and behaviorisms and um, what's making them choose to eat how they eat, what they eat, um, the cultural impact of that, like, then you won't ever be, I feel like, the best possible personal trainer um, and fitness trainer that you could be because you're not taking the time to understand the human because it's a human first and then goals second, yeah. right? Um, so, yeah, philosophy, but and I don't know that you would necessarily call that the same thing as your why or your purpose. Yeah. So t- dive a little bit more into, like, what do you – have you feel – do you feel like you've discovered your why or your purpose and what, what would that be for you? So honestly, I, I still am figuring out why the heck I'm on this planet, but <laughs> the one thing I think I, I do day to day is just, I love the showmanship of coaching and, and the flair of it. Like I love joking around and being not only just an educator, but that motivator and bringing on putting on a show like growing up I did dance for many years even if I was a little chonky I did dance and I <laughs> loved putting on the makeup and the costumes and dressing up and becoming somebody else for just a split moment mm-hmm. or putting that making this place my stage and I've always had a natural of like drive and like a, a affinity. affinity for yeah, yeah to do that but in doing so you know I always love to dress up We'll find, we, all, we all will find out later. <laughs> I had, I loved doing that. And I found out as I aged, Halloween isn't just one day a year. I can do it all the time. <laughs> so, um, but outside of that, I really never had an intention to help people. And I'll be a flat honest. I never intended to be a practitioner. I was like, I'm going to sit behind a desk and be a data analyst. And I'm going to do all the research in the world. But I have a natural gift and a natural tendency towards helping people. And I don't realize I'm doing it till it's already done. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of got stuck doing it. And it's not a bad thing. It's just I do it out of just a pure habit at this point. It's mm-hmm. just something that comes naturally. I think that's interesting because that's something that I also discovered, obviously, being in the same profession when I started noticing I was a natural at it and it felt rewarding for me, it mm-hmm. equaled my purpose and my why. But I also think that um, it's okay to evolve as we age and potentially develop a different why or purpose. Um, and that's been a little bit hard for me because mm-hmm. I started, especially when I left gold after seven years, oh, yeah. I lost a little bit of myself and I, and I went through that whole questioning of identity and like, what else am I good at? Is this really all I'm good at? Mm-hmm. And so now two years ago, coming up on a two-year anniversary of my first personal podcast, not this one, but another one called Coffee Connect, that was when I started trying to reach people in a different way because that was one of my biggest beliefs too was just how do I help people? How do I maximize my impact? Well, if I get on a 
a podcast and I could potentially reach people in different cities or states or whatever. I mean, that's the ideal way. Mm-hmm. Um, and continue mentorships through um, my short episodes um, because I really do feel like even our mentors can change throughout our life as well. So maybe it's not in, in the fitness realm. Maybe mm-hmm. it's more in your personal life as far as, because I know that we haven't even touched on your gaming. Oh, my God. Okay. Your, your Twitch. Mm-hmm. But what kind of, what mentors are, what mentors exist in your life? Oh, my God. So we talked about this somewhat previous, but I have so many mentors and it's hard to like pinpoint one person down who's done something absolutely freaking amazing for me. Like I had a, I've had my counseling mentor who was an amazing doctor who had literally six degrees. This is not a joke. And she had 13 total certifications. And I was like, she was like my lady crush cause she was so amazing. <laughs> I loved her. Her name is Dr. Robles. She's an ama- she was an amazing supervisor for me. She taught me a lot. You know, in the video gaming realm, we've got somebody who goes by Manic Socratic. We have McQueeb. We've got, you know, uh, Yogi Butt. We got all of these amazing video gamers who I look up to and I've developed these amazing, like, personal relationships with out of nowhere, out of left field, who have really been mentors and guided me to where I'm at now. And how amazing that you've been able to take that passion that play, that fun thing, and actually build it into something. I heard you actually hit a landmark the other day. Oh, my day. God. Yes. Okay. So it is Twitch is an entirely different social media profile. <laughs> um, I am a streamer by evening after I get out of here. <laughs> I know it sounds really ridiculous. I When COVID hit, I was so anxious about not having social contact with my friends here, my coworkers, my clients that I developed a severe anxiety mm-hmm. and I, my fiance, who's amazing by the way, told me, why don't you start video game streaming? And I was like, what? So I had kind of already started previously, but just for friends, nothing serious. On March 23rd, I developed, I started my video game streaming career. And as of the other day, I hit a landmark uh, 1.1,000 followers on Twitch with an average viewership of 65 individuals depending on the day. So it is, it is just, I am still kind of like processing this. <laughs> I was like, so I am a Twitch affiliate, which means I am a, I guess you could say kind of like a, a 1099, if you will, in the Twitch stream. But I did it because I was anxious and I stream uh, two, four, six, eight, eight hours a week very minimal compared to some people put in those six or eight. So to reach 1000 in less than a year when people have been doing this for seven plus years and never have this kind of growth is just like, it's mind freaking blowing. It's a big deal. Yes. So that's, I mean, that's pretty freaking cool, Uh but I'm sure that it also still feels like play. I think that play, Mm -hmm. um, and every definition of the word, I feel like it's important to remind ourselves to be childlike and and kind of connect with the things that give us that ultimate joy. Um, I know a couple of those things for you is cosplay and Twitch and and makeup. (laughs) No big deal. You have your own personal line and dance and perform. So tell us a little bit about that side of your life. Okay. So when I said I'm a jack of all trades, this is is not a joke. I love to dabble in things, and I did make a reference when I found out that as an adult, I can dress up whenever the heck I want, however <laughs> I want, and make my own costumes. Mm-hmm. 
I became a cosplayer and cosplay for those of you who are not in the industry is costume play and you can create your own costumes based on your favorite uh, virtual gaming characters anime whatever and I can cosplay live on stream as a character I can go to I was going to conventions in cosplay and I loved people seeing that I could do all these amazing things mm -hmm. and it just it was something that I just loved doing like right now I'm working on one for Halloween so if y'all stay tuned to the socials mm -hmm. y'all will be seeing the costume here live it at the rim mm -hmm. during Halloween week um, I also dabble in makeup because as a dancer you play with makeup and I actually hated it when I was growing up <laughs> but now I love makeup I come in every day and as Vanessa says she my liner is always sharp <laughs> she has wings today that could make her fly, y'all. <laughs> so I'm always dressed up here because I feel like like it's me putting on my character and my stage for the day. Mm -hmm. So I started working on a line that is rooted for the alternative culture and mm. inspired by my experience video gaming or meeting all the different subcultures in the gaming world. Mm. So we're working on that. There's a lot of work ahead of me and due to COVID, it's kind of pushed things back a couple of months, but mm -hmm. cross your fingers, guys. We're hoping it comes out, you know, yeah. well. I think that's so interesting. Oh, um, and then another aspect, you know, beyond um, your expression through makeup God, and, yeah, right? and clothes <laughs> is uh, your favorite music, which I think makes you so unique oh because I've never really heard of anyone else liking <laughs> this style of music. Oh my God, okay, okay, Can you okay. talk about it? Yes, so I love so many different types of music. I've gone to rock festivals continuously throughout my life, but there is one thing that sets me apart and I got teased for it relentlessly, <laughs> but now I'm like, what now, guys? I love K-pop. <laughs> what is K-pop? Korean pop music. Okay. It is. It has come from what's called the Hallyu, which is Korean wave. And if you guys don't know already, you've probably heard of it because of uh, BTS, who has been stateside. I've been to almost every one of their concerts. Y'all can laugh at me later. <laughs> um, I love K-pop to the point where I actually became a dance instructor in certain types of K-pop dances <laughs> and would teach at conventions. And there is photos. I have evidence, y'all. And I would teach private workshops on these dances to willing fans and people who wanted to learn. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm a K-pop fan. Okay, so beyond the fact of like how you actually like to dress outside of Lifetime, your resting gym face, Oh, even without the mask, with mask and without the mask, okay, I think okay. people probably have a lot of false assumptions about you because one, your hair is purple, you got, mm -hmm. you got wings for days, and you got nails. your witchy nails. I have long nails. So just to kind of give you all kind of a little bit of an image, what is one false assumption that you've known about or that you think that people would have about oh you? Oh, my God. This happens so frequently. <laughs> Clients tell their trainers, oh, my God, she looks so upset. She looks, she's so intimidating. She's scary looking. Yeah. People think I'm mean <laughs> because the mask makes it that much worse, but... Mm -hmm. I have the RBF. You can mm -hmm. look it up what that means. Mm -hmm. I'm not very expressive unless I'm talking, and I'm pretty much keep a flat <laughs> affect and flat face going through unless I'm actually doing something. Mm -hmm. It's not on purpose. Mm -hmm. But people assume I'm automatically mean or scary and intimidating, and I'm really not. I think when they get to see me as a coach or get to see me playing around, mm -hmm. that I'm definitely not that way. <laughs> and I still think it's funny that we get um, mistaken for <laughs> each other because we look absolutely nothing, nothing alike, alike. <laughs> but 
you know, I have sandy blonde hair. She has purple hair. I have no nails. She has witchy nails. I wear barely any makeup. She's, like, dressed to the nines. It's, like, this is true. it's really funny. But I just, I don't know. I take it as a compliment because I think that we also have some pretty, like, similar energy yes <laughs> as long as we as long as you talk to each other yeah as, as long as you give us a, a time of day but yeah um between connecting with people in the gym and then connecting with people on twitch and more the gamer world mm-hmm. um how do you like to connect with people the most do you have like a favorite one or the other well i think they're they both have their unique nuances and i don't really prefer one versus the other like when I'm training in person, I'm coaching here, I'm working with my clients one-on-one, it's very personal and it's, very, it's much more of a collaborative relationship between working between what's going on with them and me and, we, and us developing that relationship together mm-hmm. versus when I'm on gaming, it's everybody telling me about their day and I'm just letting them vent and it's more of a one-sided thing and I'm putting up this front that everything's perfect And the one thing that I like to emphasize is like, I love gaming and I love working as a trainer, but when you train people, you're working with reality and you're facing the reality head on. When you're in the gaming world and I'm on a stream, we are creating a virtual reality and a fantasy to dissociate from reality so that they can have an escape for maybe a couple hours out of their day. And you can make that day a little better because their reality is not what they want to deal with. So I get to see both sides of human nature, and I think there's a beauty in that, honestly. Yeah, I think that that's a true gift to be able to see and create um, kind of like a fantasy land, you know? Yeah, like a dreamland versus the harsh reality of, okay, your actual day-to-day decisions have brought you to this place Mm -hmm. where you're totally unhappy with your life. How do we encourage more positive changes in your life to change Mm -hmm. your reality? Um, so when you're listening to people on the chat board, um, or people in person, I'm sure there's some things that you're just like, your ears perk up. Like you get really excited to either listen about or talk to people about. What is that for you? Oh my God. I am a culture nut. I love learning about other people's cultures. And maybe that's part of my own mixed of heritage and not really having much of an identity growing up. But I love hearing about where people are from. And I think the beauty of me being on Twitch is no matter where you are in the world, you can be on a freaking island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And I'm getting to talk to you and learn about who you are, mm-hmm. what your life is like. And I have a very unique trait, I guess. This is something I guess I didn't tell Vanessa before. I have a very large Australian following. Mm-hmm. Very, very large Australian mm-hmm. following. And a lot of them are Australian wrestlers. We don't know why. It's so weird. <laughs> it's a weird thing. So but weird. learning about where they come from, their culture, yeah. my, my, my people in Scotland in uh korea and even i've gotten people even on the coast of madagascar this actually has happened that's crazy so learning about their culture and um one of the things that i love because of the culture is 90 percent of my client base training at lifetime full time Mm -hmm. is either foreign born or of a different culture and are have lived an amazing life Mm -hmm. and I have so many stories and so many experiences with them, and it's just, it's amazing, because every time I meet them, I learn something new. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about a couple of your, maybe not the favorite clients, because we can't say that, but maybe some of your favorite stories Stories. with your clients. Okay, so one of the things I love about is that my clients tell me all about their lives, their cultures, and they'll bring things into the equation. Um, I have one who's actually leaving to Pakistan today, 
uh, hope she has a safe trip. She will be gone for two weeks. And I love hearing about, you know, what it's like over there. She sends me pictures and she's make sure she's working out over there. But she also, they want to, they, she's like, I'm going to bring you something. I want you to, I was like, oh my God, don't buy me anything expensive. And she's like, no, it's a sign of respect. And I want you to see my culture. So she wants to bring me a traditional Pakistani garb. I've had a client from Tokyo who actually invited me to a tea ceremony, a private tea ceremony, and educated me and a few close friends on the beauty and the art of tea in Japanese culture and history. And we were the VIP guests of the night to do that. So it's, I just love that. That, I love culture. It's fun. Yeah, I think between food and music, even if you don't understand the words, hearing the beats and the rhythms, food and music are some of the most universal languages that we have across the world that I think anyone can appreciate. Um, And so... Can you tell me what is your one favorite multicultural dish uh, that you love to either make or enjoy? So we know, all know trainers love food. It's just, <laughs> we can be bribed we easily. We work out to eat. We work out to eat. We can be bribed with food quite easily. Pretty much. But I have always loved Asian-style food from East Asia and West Asia and Southeast Asia. And because my clients are mostly of Western Asian or Asian descent, miraculously this has happened, um, they have often shown me dishes or shared dishes with me that are family recipes or they bring food and they're like, I want you to try it. And I'm like, are you trying to bribe me? And they're like, maybe, but, <laughs> um, I love Asian food and to, for them to be able to share that with me is amazing because, well, not only do, is their food delicious, mm-hmm. um, and authentic, mm-hmm. but it's a chance for me to establish that relationship. And that's a very good sign that they've been vulnerable with me as a person. Yeah. And I am welcomed to being that helper for them. It's a sign of respect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that, man, this, re- this relationship that we have with our clients, we're, you know, we're a being of service all the time. We love to help. We love to heal. Um, but unfortunately, we don't like to ask for help. And no, we don't, don't like to, I know, we don't like to make people's lives harder I don't know where it comes from I don't know how to say it any other way but what are you most comfortable if there's one thing what are you most comfortable asking for help with oh my god I hate this question so much (laughs) I know it makes me uncomfortable (gasps) okay so I'll be a thousand percent honest with everybody I hate asking for help I never have I'm stubborn I can be busting my behind and hurting my head and banging my head on the wall I'm still not gonna ask you for help Mm -hmm. but um, it could take me one year, it could take me a couple months, it could be a couple hours or days, just depending on, on how vulnerable I want to feel with this. But yeah. um, recently, I decided I'm tired of being frustrated, and you know I need to check myself as a, as a professional that while I know all the stuff I need to know about rehabilitation and corrective, and I've been specializing this for five years, mm-hmm. I don't know everything there is to know about being an athlete and... Five years ago, I got derailed from my very first powerlifting competition due to having my knee kicked out by a special needs child because I used to work with special needs children back in the day. Um, I finally overcame my embarrassment and my insecurity and decided to be vulnerable. And I asked for help from a dear friend who is now my powerlifting coach. Mm -hmm. And I am currently prepping for my very first meet Mm -hmm. five years later. In February of this year, so we got to give a shout out to my powerlifting coach, Road. 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 Yes, that's his actual name, guys. Shout out, dude. 
He is an amazing coach and he listens to me vent and fust- and get frustrated and he always coaches me a way out. He mm-hmm. always says, okay, well, let's look at this. Let's try this way. And he had, he never lets me get down on myself. Mm-hmm. And I think the one thing that he's really taught me is the form and technique that I was using has been is great for the average person, but it's not great for an athlete. And for him, even just that second set of eyeballs, yeah. I'm getting to experience what my clients experience with me. And it's just, it's a different world, guys. Yeah. I think every coach needs a coach. I'll say that until I'm blue in the face. Um, and I think that there's some really brilliant moments of just realization and ahas. Um, I think that I have a definite bias towards females just because <laughs> I am a female, um, yeah. especially with my like body image issues. And that's a whole nother tangent for a whole nother day. Um, but especially being a, a, in a male dominated industry, if you were to talk to your younger self as a female or younger oh, trainer self as a female, what would you say to her? Oh my God, it made me emotional. I, I was not know. prepared for this. I know. So I kind of discussed it earlier that I was always considered like the fat girl or yeah. the bigger girl. And I never was, I never felt pretty. And I always assumed that I had to look like a skinny chick in order to be considered attractive or be valued or have friends. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I think I could say most of all is that your body's going to change a hell of a lot in the next, you know, 20 years of your life, girl. Mm-hmm. And everything you do, everything you do is going to be valuable no matter what. Mm-hmm. And your body is going to take the shape of how you will be training. Mm-hmm. But you, I had to, I think I would tell myself to check it that I, what I am training for, my body will change to do. Mm-hmm. And I have to accept that it's going to, I'm never going to be truly happy with my body mm-hmm. until I sit back and step back and realize that, it's not about what my body looks like. Mm-hmm. It's about what I can do with it. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm finally reaching that point. You know, a couple, oh, a couple decades later. <laughs> I'm fine. Just a young 30. Young 30. Young Starting 30. my life. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I feel like if I, if I could have told myself that back when, too. I just think that, the and I still feel like I try to learn it every day. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that's why I'm more attached to the athletic style of training because... I think that if you work really hard and you look at and focus on what your body can do and and perform like, your healthy body type, mm-hmm. athletic body type will be a product of that environment and that practice. Oh, yeah. um, and that makes me feel so much more empowered than eating like a rabbit and being a particular body weight because Blech. of my height or... Mm-hmm societal expectations of when you see female trainer you picture blank image um that's one of the most false assumptions i feel like most of the general population has is that when you hear the word trainer um you should be a certain depiction Mm. um and i think if we could break that standard or that expectation or that visual representation it would be a hell of a release for a, quite a lot oh, of people yeah. that put too much pressure on themselves oh yeah um so speaking about truths mm. i want to hear how young are you how young am i yeah how many years have oh, you been God. alive how, i've been alive 30 <laughs> years and one month or two months uh-huh. and 12 days now, after that amount of life, I know that's a young life, but there has to be some truths that you know to be true that you would pass down to 
um, if you ever choose to have children or just close family, friends, clients, <laughs> what do you feel like are those truths? Three truths that you know to be true. So I definitely had to think about this one because this was actually a very hard question for me because I, it's not that I can't think abstractly, it's that what do I feel is valuable when I have all this freaking knowledge? And I think the first thing I would think of is that just because you love, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you're going to love it. And just because you love something doesn't mean you're going to be very good at it. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. Yeah. And I think that's where thief, the thief of joy becomes compar- the becomes comparison. Yeah. So I have to kind of remind myself that I am going to be the best me and there's always going to be someone better than me. Mm-hmm. But as long as I enjoy it, what the heck, Matt? What the heck does it matter? That's so, and that, that hits me right in the heartstrings because especially in my, now that I tie it full circle, because when I was younger, I idolized soccer players. So one of the biggest soccer players of my generation was Mia Hamm. And I even, um, man, this is another like kind of side personal story, but when I was younger, I wanted to be an ODP player, right? What? So yeah, okay. an Olympic development player, right? And one of my best friends was one of those in Austin. And I, no matter how much I practiced, <laughs> I was always named the player on the field that had the most heart, not the most talent. <laughs> that yeah. was an easy way of saying, <laughs> you're, you're, not the, <laughs> you're not the fastest, that, that, you're not the yeah. most skilled but you have a damn a lot of heart. And I didn't know what that necessarily meant because I was like, well, what heart's not going to get me on a on a collegiate team, you know, yeah. division 1. That's not going to get me in the Olympics. Um and it it really was like a false idea that I had of my identity even throughout school. Um but just because I loved soccer didn't necessarily mean that I was going to be good at it. Yeah. But learning what I learned from being in athletics, the discipline, the camaraderie, the connection, the athletic expression, I ended up channeling that and then making, a, making it a profession even after changing my degree twice in mm. college. Um, and then channeling that heart that they spoke of into how I like helping with people. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so going, I guess, further is, and just, I guess, to piggyback off that, you know, we seldom end up doing what we originally set out to do. So I could have told you, you know, when I was first getting my two bachelors, five, that's five years of college, guys, straight through, mm-hmm. just so you're aware, mm-hmm. that I was going to do all these things. At first, I was like, I'm going to be a biologist. I'm going to be a microbiologist. I'm going to be a biochemist. I'm going to be this. And going in, my parents pressured me to go into the medical field. Mm-hmm. But as we well learned, Cadaver Day did not go as planned. <laughs> There's, that'll be a story for another day. But um, I ended up going to mental health. And again, I thought I was going to be the most amazing little counselor ever. And while it was great, I fell out of love with it. And I realized, you know, maybe I'm meant to do something else. So I have quite a nomadic lifestyle with that. Mm-hmm. So you hence why I became a trainer Mm -hmm. so you know we don't always we don't always end up where we think we're gonna be Mm -hmm. and then there I think there's something about that when it comes down to it that we have to really humble ourselves Mm -hmm. and not put that pressure that just because I ended up somewhere different doesn't make me any less valuable Mm -hmm. um and I think the last piece of advice I have is well cover your ears children it's my favorite she busts out laughing earlier. <laughs> it's my favorite. 
don't be a bitch. Don't, <laughs> don't be, be a, a little, little bitch. bitch. <laughs> I okay. I have to say something about that one because <laughs> it's. I think it's so funny because I think you know you know when you meet somebody and you're kind of like I don't know why I like you <laughs> like I like you because there's something about you that like I know I see a little in me inside of you. Um, and while we obviously are very different, I think that Chanel and I connect a little bit on this like harsher level, something that we would never freaking say to anyone else. And yet we have that kind of self-talk of like, nah, nah, girl, we don't have time for this today. (laughs) (laughs) Because let's be real. I'm going into powerlifting. I've been out of the circuit for five years. I'm 30. Mm -hmm. They changed my weight class on me. So I'm no longer 72. Mm -hmm. I'm up to 76. Mm -hmm. I haven't been powerlifting for more than like a month. And I only have five months to get my act together. Mm -hmm. And I'm out there being downtrodden, frustrated, Mm -hmm. being whiny on the floor because your girl is having a bad deadlift day (laughs) and I cannot seem to get it right. And I'll be sitting there moping and frustrated. And Vanessa does see me and I'm just like (laughs) moaning and groaning. And there's been a time when I was pulling a deadlift and I was like, I can't do it. I'm never going to be as good as so-and-so because I have a lot of friends who are on my powerlifting team right? who are my same weight class. I'm like, I'm not going to be as strong as them. And then I have to realize I'm like, and then I think last week I was deadlifting and I realized I was like, don't be a little bitch. And I pulled pulled off the the new maximum PR and I was like, okay. So that's where that comes from in case I was wondering. I call it the Yonsei energy. I feel like like it's just everybody has that next level of their personality. And just like I said before, I have this bias towards seeing women be empowered, women empowering other women. Um, That idea that, you know, there is space for all of us. Do yes. not compare your journey to any other female. Do not think that because they shine just, you know, they shine in their own way and their own journey and their own expression that that means that there's any less space for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's beautiful that as women we can be vulnerable, we can cry, we can birth humans. Um, I think that there's a lot of power in our femininity and our vulnerability. Um, and that we have that moment where we, I swear to God, I think that women are stronger than men, period. And I don't care what science like says. I don't care. <laughs> I think that having those moments of self-talk and that realization, I think that women are by far stronger than men. So shout out to you ladies. <laughs> actually, I can back it. Science are actually physically sh- Science says women are actually physically stronger than men because we actually can birth humans. And you ladies already had kids, know what I'm talking about. We have the, so we can actually take more of a hit to our um, lady bits than men can. So (laughs) science says women are indeed stronger, and I will stand by that statement. I don't know that you want to leave that as your complete but, like, legacy, legacy, but... Um, well, no, I have a legacy, I promise. Okay, so if we actually brought it in, and we thought about your life fully lived, and your full expression of yourself, and it's your last day on Earth. Um, oh very, God. very, very, very far day from now. But, you know, we love helping people. We love bettering people's lives. We take our jobs very seriously, Um what do you feel like you want your legacy to be? What do you want to be remembered for? Yeah, this is like one of the hardest questions ever because the only thing I can say is that I don't know what I want to be remembered for, but I want to be remembered for something. I don't know what that something is yet, but it's going to be something. So if even if what you guys get out of this right now is that 
I'm known for doing all these weird things and all these weird things that just don't make sense, well then I'll take it. I was remembered for being the one person who did everything and did it well. I think being yourself unapologetically is one of the best expressions and I think that you may actually be surprised at what people get from you expressing yourself in that way, in that manner. So I feel like you're already being remembered for someone that just lives their truest expression. Um, and nice. I would have to give that to you. So yeah. Chanel, I can't tell you enough. Like, thank you for your time, your oh, energy, you. your friendship. Um, I get a lot from our friendship and I'm, I'm grateful, super grateful to have a, an episode with you. Do you want to share anything with um, everybody before we go? I know that we're going to include all of your social, but what yes. else would you like to kind of talk about today? Well, blah, 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 blah. I guess, I think we touched on mostly everything for the most part, but I think the one thing I want to leave people with is that when, peop- when people have surface-based assumptions based on how I look or Vanessa looks or someone else looks, especially being females, we're trainers, we're put to a higher standard. And people assume automatically trainers, oh, they're a bunch of meatheads, they, do, they only lift weights, they only do this, that, nutrition plans, etc. And the, people forget about us as humans. And if people were to start seeing us as humans who have real jobs, real stress, we have emotional stuff, we've been injured, we've been athletes, we've seen it all, we've done it all, and we, but we still have much to learn, then I think there's a gap that will be bridged when it comes to that. And most of all, that people will know that we're humans too. And it's something that we as trainers should embrace, that we are humans, we're not machines. Mm-hmm. And while we, I love working with people, you know, clients understand that we're people too and we got stuff going on. So if you're a trainer out there and you're having a rough time and you're like, man, I have all these things going on, it's okay. You're a person. And yeah. I, I think that one thing that I do as a streamer, as a trainer, as a former mental health professional and still advocate for mental health is I preach on the subject of be open, be vulnerable, be authentic to your people who you're working with, with your friends, your family, your coworkers, because if you can be an authentic person mm-hmm. in a safe space, mm-hmm. you can live your truth, whatever that may be, mm-hmm. and you can be unapologetically yourself. And you can attract the tribe that's meant for you. And that feels so good to be in your most authentic expression of self. Um, Guys, thank you so much for listening to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach, where coaches are humans too. I appreciate every human and their journey. I hope to continue to connect and shed light on how uniquely beautiful we all are. Our differences are what make us unique, but it's our humanity that brings us together. Stay healthy, my friends. This is your host, Vanessa, signing out. Thank you so much again for listening to Behind the Name Tag, More Than a Coach. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to hit that subscribe button. We are broadcasting on anywhere you can find other podcasts like Apple, Spotify, and of course, Anchor, where we're recording this podcast now. If you really loved it, which I'm sure you did, we would appreciate a five-star review and a share with all of your friends. Until next time, this is your host, Vanessa, signing out. Stay healthy, my friends.